afternoon. Uh, we're going to look at the next chapter in 2 Samuel, Second uh, Samuel chapter 9, you will always eat at my table. Second Samuel chapter 9, reading from verse 1, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of the house of Saul, his name was Ziba, they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Akir, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Emil, and Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, saw servant, given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce. Your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us and uh, help us to see you more clearly through this portion of scripture. We pray that the effect of it would cause our hearts to trust in you more, to love you more, to give more of ourselves to you, um, and that your kingdom purpose would be accomplished in our lives and through us for the sake of others and for your glory. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so we want to think about uh, this story here. And this is kind of like a, a transition point in Second Samuel. Up to this point, almost everything that we've, saw, uh, we've seen of David was positive. And then moving forward from chapter 10 and on, we're going to see a lot of different kinds of things about David, negative things. And we're going to get into the text where he commits adultery with Bathsheba and all the problems that he has with his family and his sons. And, uh, but before that, we, he, we have here chapter 9, where he really demonstrates the character of God as the covenantal king of Israel. So we'll look at that through this text. First, David's 
covenant kindness. Um, David's looking around at this point, looking for someone to show kindness to. David, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? We saw last week that David's kingship was in many ways representative of God's rule over his people. If you remember that verse from chapter 8, verse 15, David administered justice and equity to all his people, meaning uh, he was like God in many ways. And the characteristic of his kingship was like God in how, he, how God ruled over his people. And we see an example of that here. Some time passed since David has become king, and he remembers now the house of Saul. We don't know exactly why he's doing this now, but David is looking for someone to show kindness to. And verse 3 says, that I may show the kindness of God to him. So as Israel's king, David, again, is representing God, demonstrating the character of God as he is about to do this. In fact, that word kindness is a Hebrew word, hesed, which is often used of God. David is representing God's steadfast love, his unfailing love, a covenant love that does not depend on the recipient or the object of that love, but seeks the interest of the object of love. David is representing God's kindness. Is there anyone that I can show the kindness of God to? Now, this kindness is a covenant kindness because back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, David made a covenant with Jonathan. Chapter 20, verse 14, if I'm still alive, Jonathan says, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And verse 16 says, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Jonathan was Saul's son, and this conversation took place when Saul was still king. Jonathan knew that the Lord chose David to be the king after his father Saul. So he's now interceding on behalf of his house. Right? When you come to the throne, don't cut off my children, my descendants. Show me, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord, which is the word, again, hesed, the kindness of God. Show me the kindness of God, the steadfast love of the Lord. And that is why David says in our chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 7, he says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? It means that the kindness that Mephibosheth is about to receive is because of Jonathan. It's independent of himself. It's independent of who Mephibosheth is. It's because of Jonathan. It was based on a covenant made on his behalf even before he was born. And that is why David says, also in verse 1, is there still anyone, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Meaning, it really doesn't matter who it is. Is there anyone from Jonathan's family? And in reply to this question, Ziba says, yes, there is this one guy, but he's crippled. 
And to that, David does not say, oh, is there anyone else? He says, where is he? Because it didn't matter to him who it was. He wasn't showing God's steadfast love based on the person's worthiness to deserve it. Even a cripple is fine because it was for Jonathan's sake. And that is the nature of the steadfast love of the Lord. That is the nature of the covenant kindness of God. God's love comes to us not because of who we are or anything we've done, but just because of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, talking about God, saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So this is, so what Paul's saying here is exactly, saying that we receive exactly the same thing in Christ that Mephibosheth received from David. It means that the love that we receive from God was mediated on our behalf even from the beginning, even before time. So just like Mephibosheth, it has nothing to do with who we are or what we can bring to God. It's because of Jesus Christ. This concept, this concept is so hard for us to get because no other love in this world is like this. Because all human love, even the best human love, is conditional, often based on how we look, what we can do, and so on. You know, one of Bruno Mars' big songs back in the day was called Just the Way You Are. Where were you? I mean, how old were you when that song came out? We probably have a wide range here. So, you know, if you remember the song, it's a song about a guy who's totally, totally captivated by a woman's beauty. So he starts singing about, like, her features, right? He starts singing about her eyes. He goes, her eyes, her eyes. He says, your, eye, your eyes or her eyes make the stars look like they're not shining. I guess because they're, like, so, so bright, so sparkling. Her eyes make the stars look like they're not shining. Her hair, her hair falls perfectly without her trying. Oh, she's so beautiful, I tell her every day. And then he begins, you know, after he sings about her eyes, her hair, her lips, and then he says, oh, you know, you know, you know, I'd never ask you to change. If perfect's what you're searching for, then just stay the same. Amazing, right? Like, amazing lyrics. And then, he, and then you know, the famous chorus goes, when I see your face, there's not a thing that I would change because you're amazing just the way you are. And when you smile, the whole world stops and stares for a while. This girl, you're amazing just the way you are. The way you are, the way you are. Girl, you're amazing just the way you are. Yeah. I mean, I can see why this song was so popular. Any girl who hears these words from the guy that she likes would just would be so moved. I mean, like, who wouldn't? Like, you hear these words, like, wow, 
wow, really? You really think I'm perfect? There's really not a single thing you would change about this face? I mean, those are powerful, piercing words to a girl. Or a guy, for that matter, you know? But, but that sword, you know, the, the sword of those words are double-sided. You know why? Because uh, her face is not going to stay the same, you know? Um, what happens in 10 years when her eyes actually make the stars look like they are shining? I mean, at some point, it has to be kind of a source of insecurity, right? Man, you thought I was perfect 10 years ago. I look different now. So does that mean you don't think I'm perfect anymore? You see, God's covenant love doesn't come to us and lie to us saying that you're perfect. God actually says, when I see your face, there are actually a million things that I would change. You're definitely not amazing just the way you are. But... God's love says, I still love you. I still love you just the way you are because he sees Jesus when he sees you. That is the nature of God's covenant kindness. The steadfast love of the Lord is steadfast because he sees Christ in you when he sees you. David's covenant kindness, reflecting the character of God, the covenant steadfast love of God. Secondly, the mismatch, the mismatch of kindness. Verse 5 says, Then King David sent and brought him Mephibosheth from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now, this is actually not the first time we're introduced to this person, Mephibosheth. We saw him back in chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That's the news that Saul and Jonathan had died. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. The author's intent in chapter 4 in bringing him up seems to have been to say that Mephibosheth was no, was no threat to David uh, to compete for the throne because he was crippled. And it seems like that was the identity that followed him his whole life. Because the first time we're introduced to Mephibosheth in this passage, in verse 3, Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, he's crippled in his feet. So Ziba seems to be saying, he seems to be saying, yes, there is someone in the line of Jonathan, but he is crippled. And that's all you need to know about him. And not only is he crippled, but Mephibosheth knows that he's a descendant of the previous king, which typically means that he's now the enemy of the present king. So Mephibosheth basically comes to David expecting to die. That's why the first thing that David says to Mephibosheth in verse 7 is, 
says to him, do not fear. Do not fear, or I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I think this scene in, in verse 7, just, just this scene, if you can picture this scene in verse 7, Mephibosheth comes, right, this crippled, uh, pretty much a nobody, comes to the king, expecting to die. David says, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. I mean, think about this scene and, and, and ingrain this scene in, in our minds. Mephibosheth, again, is a crippled nobody, a crippled enemy of the king, if you will. And in contrast, David is argu arguably the most powerful man in the ancient world at this time. We saw last week that David had uh, become great. His name had become great because God had fulfilled his promise to make David's name great. There was no other name greater than David at this time because the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So this great king David condescends to the crippled enemy and says, I will show you kindness. I think having that picture in our minds gives us at least some tangible grasp of the gospel story. You know, we got, a, you got, we got a, a cute, small, black hamster for Ezra for his birthday recently. Paid, a, paid $12 at the pet store. Ezra named this hamster, named her Coco. It was, you know, dark color. And Ezra, you know, pretty much like look at it once in a while and pet it once in a while. But I'm the one that had to smell all the nasty stuff and clean the cage and things like that. And one day this week, we woke up and, and uh, I noticed that the hamster had this, this reddish thing um, about two inches long, maybe about quarter inch in diameter, like this thing basically sticking out of his butt, her butt. Um, Christine Googled it, trying to figure out what it, what it was. Basically, uh, what happened was it's the, the hamster's insides uh, that came out for some unknown reason. And, uh, and, and she researched, she said, this hamster's probably going to die. Uh, from what she read, some people said that the hamster might get, might get better with surgery. <laughs> but even then, in that scenario, it's unlikely. It's probably going to die. So I received that information from her, and I wondered, like, what should I do? Pay $12 for this unfortunate animal that basically pooped his own butt out of, like, pooped his own intestines out of the butt. Um, so what should I do, right? Like, should I spend another few hundred dollars hoping to save this animal's life? Or do, I don't know, what should we do? Like, prayed about it, fasted for a few minutes. <laughs> and just, you know, like, just after all that wrestling, just, decided to let God take her. 
Do I feel bad about it? A little bit. I mean, it was a living animal. It's Ezra's pet. But now, would I do something differently if I can do it all over again? <laughs> Not really. I still let God take her. Why? Because to be honest, to be honest, it's just a hamster. I mean, like, is anyone going to email me now after this? Uh, and at some point, okay, so you got to think about it. At some point, you have to say, that thing is not that valuable to me, not valuable enough to me to try to save it. You see, I looked at that hamster and I said, in this situation, it's just not worth it. And that is a creature saying that about another creature. The point is this. But God, the creator, looked at human beings. And it's not just talking about a creature saying that about another creature. God, the creator, looked at human beings, sinners, and said, I'll save them. The value distance, if you want to think about it in that way, the value distance between God and us is infinitely greater because God is of infinite worth. That value distance is infinitely greater than the value distance between me and a hamster or any other animal. But God, who is of infinite worth, gave his life for his creatures. God had nothing to gain by loving us. What, what can we bring to God? Nothing. But while we were still sinners, while we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. Mephibosheth's response to King David's kindness in verse 8 was, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And um, like we need to have we need to have this, this picture planted in our minds, King David showing kindness to Mephibosheth. Whatever that picture looks like to you, whatever that picture of verse 7 and verse 8 looks like to you, we need to have it planted in our, in our minds. We need to always be humble. When we catch ourselves getting proud, always go to the cross and see the reason to be humble. We need to always be thankful. We need to always be filled with love for God because the cross is a reason for all of those things. The mismatch of kindness. Thirdly, the extent of kindness. Verse 7 again, David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And, uh, and in terms of David's Kindness to Mephibosheth, what he actually does for him, David gives him two things. I'll restore to you all the land. I'll restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Um, he says, first, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. So he gets the property that the former king owned. And uh, he, David calls Ziba, Saul's servant, and tells him that Mephibosheth will be his new master. So Ziba, along with his 15 sons and 20 servants, 
are ordered to take care of the land for Mephibosheth and to, to, to work the land to provide for their family. And secondly, he says, you shall eat at my table always. Now, this phrase is repeated four times in this story. You shall eat at my table always. And you might not be able to read this, but I'm just going to show the slide because if you see the, the bold text, if you see the bold text like four times, it's repeated, you shall always eat at my table. So David says, you shall always eat at my table. It wasn't some other table in the king's palace. It was the actual table where David himself ate. And then in verse 11, to that phrase, it adds, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So it was David's table where not only he ate, but he ate with his sons. So it's as if David was actually taking Mephibosheth in, into his family. And it says, you shall eat at my table always. Meaning this wasn't a temporary arrangement. The situation wasn't going to change because it was an arrangement that was permanent based on a covenant. So David's kindness, if you think about the extent of David's kindness to Mephibosheth, was not based, like finding out where he lives and then like sending him like a, a life supply of crutches or something like that. He actually brought him to Jerusalem, to his house, invited to, him to eat with him at his table like a son always. We can think of those two things that David gave Mephibosheth in this way. There was position and progression. Mephibosheth's position changed once and for all. David brought him in and treated him like a son. That was never going to change. In addition to the positional change, there was a progressional element in that David had arranged to continually provide for Mephibosheth and his family through the land. And those are the same blessings that we have in Christ for those who are in Jesus Christ. When we trust in Jesus Christ, there's a positional change. The guilty become not guilty. The enemies become sons. And that position will never change in Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, there's a progressional element, meaning God will continually work now in the lives of his children and progressively make them more like his son. We can also think of what David gave Mephibosheth in this way. There was, uh, there was material possession, provision and relational provision. Mephibosheth will be set for life financially. The land that belonged to his grandfather Saul would be more than enough to provide for him and his family. There was material provision. But in, in addition to that, David offers a relationship. You shall always eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And again, those are the same blessings that we can have in Jesus Christ. God promises to provide for us what we need always. He gives us food to eat, jobs, friends, everything that we need to live for him. In addition to that, God offers us an intimate relationship with him. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Sinners who were the enemies of God, who have nothing to offer to God, 
can come and dine with the king of kings. And we can have a relationship, a continual, daily, ongoing, intimate relationship with the creator God. Wedding season is approaching. There's actually even a couple in our church that's getting married next month. Picture this in your mind. Suppose after the wedding, and you know how things go, like after the wedding, it's like a very happy, festive atmosphere. They walked down the aisle, and then they, they came back, you know, like holding hands, music, um, confetti, I don't know, it's just, you know, it's a festive atmosphere, and then like they all go to the reception together. Suppose after the wedding, the groom tries to take the bride's hand so they can sit together at the head table reserved for the bride and groom, but she refuses. She insists, for some, she insists on sitting at the, at the back table with the guest. I mean, not even with the family, but at the back table with, with, with like the nobodies. If that ever happened, like think about that. If that ever happened, we would be asking, what's wrong? Did something happen? Is Leslie mad at Kevin? Because that would be ridiculous if the bride did that. No, I'm not going to sit there with you. Please, come, sit with me. No. It would just be ridiculous if that happened. What if Mephibosheth declined David's invitation? You will always eat at my table like one of my sons. And he says, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I'll go back to Lodabar from where I came and lived my life. You see, neither of those situations are as ridiculous as when Jesus the bridegroom invites you to sit with him at his table and we say no. Jesus says, come to the table anytime, any day. You can open the pages of your Bible Open your app, whatever. And dine with me. Close your eyes. Anytime, anywhere you are. And have a relationship with me through prayer. But for some unknown reason, we continually decline that invitation. We can have, we can have, through Jesus Christ, a love relationship with the creator of this universe. So we're to sit at the king's table and actually dine as one of the king's sons. Um, before we leave this text, I just want to point out one more verse. I mean, we said, remember, at, um, Mephibosheth hears that, that invitation, hears those words coming out of David's mouth, and he's he's. He's, he came expecting to die. What, what is this? What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Like he cannot fathom what's going on because that is the nature of the, the love of God coming upon a sinner. And then uh, this, this story, this chapter, this passage ends like this in verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, 
for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. I read this verse, and it's just like, I just can't get over it. This is a very strange way to end the story, isn't it? So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And it's like the author, like, he puts a period there. I mean, you know, so to speak. Okay, the story's, story's over. The end. And it's as if, like, he has to say it one more time. Because this is just so, so ridiculous. He always, he lived in Jerusalem. He always ate at the king's table. Yes, that's true. Now he was lame in both his feet. It's, it's, it's as if the author is trying to emphasize the ridiculousness of this story. And indeed, that's what it is. It is ridiculous. That this crippled, probably someone who was in need and begging for, for daily provision can actually be invited to the king's table and for the rest of his life be set to dine with him as one of his sons. And it's as, as if the author is saying, do you get it? Can you believe me? He actually was lame in his feet and he ate at the king's table and he was lame in his feet. And I pray that as we get deeper into just even meditating on that scene of uh, King David reaching out, extending steadfast love, kindness, the, the love of God to, to this one person, Mephibosheth. I pray that that picture would sink into our hearts so that in those moments, especially maybe when you have a hard time getting up in the morning, or when you have a hard time opening up your Bible, or when you have a hard time wondering what it is that I'm looking forward to tomorrow, that you can go back to that scene and remember this unfathomable, ridiculous kindness of God that you have access to through Jesus Christ. May we always dine at the king's table. Please pray for me. Tomorrow our family is going to be heading down to Champaign, Illinois. We're going to head for a, a funeral uh, for um, someone who's made a huge, huge impact in my life. Um, someone who I've known since I was probably, I was a college student, 19, 20 years old. Um, and uh, it's just going to be a very difficult uh, week. You know, of course, we're going to celebrate her life, and it's going to be a very difficult week um, remembering all of those things, too. Um, and so please pray for me for that, for that family. Let's pray together. You know, the thing about preaching and preaching the Bible and explaining the verses is not that I have to try to convince people of something that's not true, you know, like I I don't have to like try to sell some something to people so to make you believe something that's not true. Rather, just have to explain something that is true, so that you can believe it. That's exactly what uh, we see uh, 
in this passage, just as in every passage. Like, we don't daily live our lives in full realization of God's love for us. We don't walk around thinking that God is extending amazing, unfathomable grace to an undeserving sinner. But that is the truth. We're the ones, like Mephibosheth, helpless, spiritually dead, apart from Christ, like no hope, headed for hell. Like That's the reality. But the creator God who needed nothing from us gave everything. For some reason said, He's worth saving. She's worth she's worth saving. He gave his son on the cross. That's the reality of our lives in Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes we kind of get it backwards, you know? Like we try to force ourselves to open the Bible because we feel like we should so that we can get closer to God. But kind of the other way around when we see the reality of what Christ has done for us and the extent of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Just like Mephibosheth, who am I? that table that table becomes like the most desirable place that we want to be in our lives pray that that uh, be the reality in our hearts as we see the love of God for us in the pages of scripture let's pray for a moment and then we'll close our time with the song Father we thank you for your great love for us for Christ Repent for uh, the unbelief that makes life seem fuzzy to us, the unbelief in our hearts. We pray that you would cut through that, the power of your word would penetrate our hearts and help us to see the real love of God that we can live in and experience daily in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Let's pray that we would come to deeply understand in our hearts the goodness of God, the steadfast love of God, this covenant kindness of God. As we have Bible study this week, meditate on this passage, as we go through Lent, as we give up certain things, or as we take on certain things in our lives, let's pray that we would realize the love of God for us that is real, that is for us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you because uh, because even in this passage, we see that in a world uh, that is so full of conditional love, where we have to be a certain way or look a certain way or do certain things, um, and in the midst of just being so consumed and tired in that struggle, we thank you that we can come to you and uh, just be loved because you are love. Free grace, undeserved grace, extravagant, unbelievable grace that is available in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can rest in it, that we can hope in it, that our, our tomorrow is secure, not because of anything that pertains to us, 
because of your love for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to realize that more and more. Pray that the word of God will become more and more real and precious in our hearts and that through this process we would draw near to you, eat at your table, and become more and more like you, that other people can see the love of God through us. Thank you, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant, test that love of the Father God, fellowship, strength, power of the Holy Spirit, be with you, God's people, both now and forever.